from Coolbet, the most transparent sports book out there. Easy to navigate and easy to cash out. A lot of books are not. Trust me when I say that. You want to be able to get your money once you win. PLYRgolf.com. Unreal fashion for the course. Comfortable, sleek, and it follows my motto. Look good, feel good, play good. Go to PLYRgolf.com. By the way, stay tuned. MB36 Golf Line coming very soon. My guest last week was so good that I had to have him on for an encore episode. So episode 34, Terry Ryan. Terry, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Matty? I'm good. I, I, like I said, I'm breaking this up into two yeah. episodes because it was so good. You have so many great stories and it's funny, when I tweeted out yesterday, I got so many comments and, and people texting me, uh, can't wait till it comes out. They've heard you on different podcasts uh, before, even one that I'm a little pissed off at. I won't name the name, uh, but hasn't replied. Uh, I think you were on the same podcast. Hasn't replied to me to come on to my podcast after I did about an hour and a half on his. But you know what? That's all right. That's all right. I promise I will return the paper for you. Uh, within milliseconds, but um, hopefully they return our uh, favors. I wanted to ask you, been in so many fights um, as of you over the years, and Junior was a little crazier. Even in the NHL, I did it. It might seem a little absurd to some people. You ever do anything crazy when you fought? I mean, we all taped our wrists at different times, and Ty Domi had, you know, the, the, the tie down in front. So did Rob Race. You couldn't get it up over their heads. Yeah. Um, you know, we cut jerseys at different points of our career. Some of us wear, wear the goalie jersey. <laughs> wear the goalie jersey. I sprayed stick them on my hands if I knew I was yeah. going to go out there, especially if I was fighting a guy relatively my size. I was spraying stick them on there. And junior, even at the end of the games, when we had a big lead or not, or if I wanted to get a guy back, I'd shave the stick down that only used for any of the games so I could fucking <laughs> whack a guy in the back yeah. and, and, and draw some blood. Uh, any crazy stuff you've heard of or you did? Um, I've heard of lots. <clears throat> um, yeah, I got to – I'll tell you, my, my, it's funny, my first fight, and I did. There was times over my career if I knew I was going to get into it with the Vaseline on the face or I asked for a goalie cut. That went out quick, though, because when I had the goalie cut, you know, for the sleeves, you know what I mean, your sleeves get loose? Yeah. Well, A, I wasn't used to it. So – because I was used to that point getting in hundreds of – over 100, whenever fights 
with the real jersey. So, and I think I became okay at that. Like, ask a guy like Darren Langdon. He was one of the best technical fighters ever. Yeah. And, you know, the dimensions were just quite fine for him. You start changing that a little bit, and he's got to change his whole dynamic. So some people thrived on it. Uh, but I wore the goalie jersey for, like, four games, and then if, if, if there wasn't a target already, then this was just all out. Let's fight every shift. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially, and you'd same thing when you get the Vaseline on. But if I knew I was going to get in a fight, though, that would really help. And uh, not that I was scared of bleeding, but, you know, if, if you bleed and the other guy doesn't, you know, you, the, the, the reason usually that you're getting in that fight is to get momentum for your own team. So yeah. there was a point. I'm like, okay, like, you know, I just want to at least have an even fight, get, get the momentum going, unless you're an underdog, whatever. But, um, yeah, my first fight, so I told you I left home at 14, which was mesmerizing. It, it, That's it was crazy. Awful. That's insane. It really was. And the draft, and I, but I couldn't play in the Western League till I was 16. But again, Tri-Cities said, you know, come on out and we'll draft you in the first round in January, which is exactly what happened. This was 91, 92. But going out there, I didn't really know. And I also didn't realize I was going to be playing junior. Um, I figured maybe they'd have me playing midget AAA. It was in northern BC, Cornell, by Prince George. Uh but you know, I went. I went to the junior tryouts, and it was it was all right. Like I didn't, and I loved playing with the half visor. Uh, just because I was fourteen, I was allowed to just play on the junior team with the half visor. So, and I loved that. It was freedom. There was something about going out there, and people weren't running me, but I was. A couple people were. People were kind of saying, "What the fuck's going on?" To be honest, they were like, "Why is a fourteen-year-old from Newfoundland and Quinell?" There was the Rocky Mountain Junior Hockey League at the time. It was Junior A. But there was the BC Junior League, which took over, and I were think they, it, were they sorry to interrupt. Were, were they yeah, called the Millionaires? The Millionaires, yeah, the millionaires. millionaires. And I, I had no idea why either. It totally blew me away. <laughs> so the whole, it, it just seemed like this fantastical place, like up in the clouds. You know, I was here in Newfoundland. They're like, no, no, you're going to go to Cornell. You're going to Cornell. I'm like, where the fuck is that? Again, no internet. So that really, you know, it was. It, you got to almost remind yourself what that felt like. You know, like. At the time, it was a phone call or writing letters to pals. So when I got there, not only was I detached from my friends at home for that reason, but people there didn't understand. Like, you know, they really like, uh, it was all this stereotype, Newfoundland. Now you would, you would know that Newfoundland is beautiful, whales and icebergs and downtown. We really, tourism, you know, we went next level in the 2000s. But, you know, before that, there's no internet. Yeah. Some people have been there. Some people didn't. I was getting like, you know, your fishing boots and your fucking dory. Where's your fucking fishing hat? You know, where's <laughs> your salt and pepper fucking hat? Shit. It was, it was just all the stereotypes. So there was that as well. Like, again, I wanted to be home at O'Donnell High School in Newfoundland getting five goals a game. That's what I wanted. But I knew and my dad, like I trusted him. And we were on the plane, Maddie. I swear, sat down. I was crying. I didn't want, And he said, no, you can get off. And I said, I looked at him. I said, like, what are my chances here? You know, like, he said, well, I guarantee you're going to get a scholarship. Like, Tri-City really want you. If the NHL didn't even happen, he said, like, you can make this decision in the next couple of years, and you can go to Yale. They're offering you a scholarship. And I was like, yeah, you're right. He goes, it won't happen if you go to O'Donnell, though, likely. And he said, I'm telling you right now, knowing what I know, I think you can play. I think, you know, if you keep developing, NHL is a possibility. That's all I needed to hear, right? I needed to hear nothing else. It killed me. 
but I went out there. So you got to put that into perspective too. Like I've never played with hitting, let alone been on the ice with a 20 year old. I haven't been on the ice with a four, with a 15 year old yet. Yeah. I've played peewee with no hitting. So anyway, it starts. And you know, the way any camp was back then people knew, and, and there was enough guys there that were leaders and they couldn't really understand it, but they knew that I was there as a prospect. I don't think they thought I'd make the junior team, let alone lead it in scoring, which I did. But, uh, you know, at first, it wasn't like Wayne Gretzky coming in and everybody knew who he was. It was. You know, I was big news out here. It was fucking, I was a nobody. And even though guys weren't running me, I was still not used to even just getting hit. Like, you know, there's something to that. It wears you out. You know, you got to start, like, bringing down your shoulder and learning how to take a hit or you're going to be hurt right off the bat. It's not all hitting. It's, like, how to take it. And even the clean ones. And then there was the possibility of the gloves dropping. And I was kind of anxious. I wanted to get it out of the way. But the boys in, in Quinnell were all treating me pretty nice. Like, I think they were blown away. I was the cute little 14-year-old. I really don't think anybody thought I was going to make the fucking team. Well, there should be no one ever going near a fucking 14 Yes, you know exactly. I mean? like yes, even in Quinnell, they got that, right? So, and I was getting hit. They were keeping me honest, but... You know, people were making sure Chris Spencer, Dave Standing in particular, I didn't, I didn't get into it with anybody. But there were lots of fights going on. And then, you know, you get in the room afterwards and people are talking about fucking booze and dope and pussy. And, you know, I'm, it's completely, that's, that's where I was way behind. Like I said, I'd been into a strip bar. I put Vaseline and pepper on my face to look like stubble. <laughs> I was big, back around here, right, we'd have the odd beer and someone's, in the forest outside of my buddy Gary Clark's backyard or whatever. There was really, really, it was an innocence about it. It was nothing that all kids weren't doing at the time, at least around here. Now, all of a sudden, like, you know, going out and getting stoned and fucking a chick from behind and getting loaded. And, you know, this is all an option for people in the room. And I'm going, fuck, like, you know, and then, like I said, I'm going to a new school. And my accent, if you pick up on one now that's one thing but back then i was like really like this like hey maddie so i talk like this and i'd be like you know we're in newfoundland and yeah. we're going to quinell and where are we going by like it was like that and i had to really slow down I, I i didn't consciously do it but my accent changed i think people couldn't understand and there was you know i had zits all over my face there was a real disconnect and i did not like it at all so one of the only ways that i could have even approached this situation I'm like, you know, on the ice, like I can get in a fight. They will respect that. I mean, if it's a novelty that's a 14-year-old at camp, I can't imagine. And they'd pack it. Quinnell, they never, ever won a championship, but they'd pack it to watch the fights. They loved it. So a uh, blue-collar town, Milltown. So anyway, I'm th it's starting to be a possibility. And then, like, as camp goes on, people are realizing, okay, like he's probably going to play here. Tri-City were, like, adamant if he can handle it. And I could, I was doing all right, but now the real game started. So we're playing an exhibition game against Williams Lake. Again, I'm in school. I haven't really talked to anybody. Put my hat down over my head. I'm really, you'd never say it now, but I was shy. Like, <laughs> I wasn't ready for any of this. So, like, way, way not ready. I didn't want to be in the school. I didn't want, I was home. I was just concentrating. I don't know how many times a day, Maddie, I'd look in the mirror and go, like, you fucking do it. You do it. Like, you know, I had to talk myself down rather than go home. So. Um, so anyway, we're playing Williams Lake first game, skating around the first game I ever played with anthems, you know, we're warming up. They are guys are flying around with no helmet on. You're allowed to do a warm up back then and junior. And it was just like, Whoa, what the fuck? So 
Game starts. I swear to fuck. I'm a centerman at the time. I'm taking the face off. I look up, and there's a guy on Williams Lake, and he says, uh, hey, you're from out east, eh? I said, yeah. He goes, well, welcome to the league. You know, welcome to Jerry. I'm like, oh, as I'm, oh thank you. As, Thanks a lot. He, he doesn't take the face off. He cross-checks me. Now, I hit my visor. Maybe he knew what he was doing, but he cross-checks me in the face. And I'm going, whoa. I go down. I, I don't know what to think. I think he's being nice to him. I'm looking up. It's chaos. The fans are expecting it. They know what's going on. The boys on the bench, it's nothing new for them. For me, I'm pissed off. Now I get up, but I'm going to go at it. I'm kind of happy that my cherry's being broken here. But I didn't like that it wasn't on my terms, and I didn't see that coming either. So anyway, we got into it, and I got shit kicked. Now I wish I could remember this guy's name because I would say it, but they had a big guy, Adam Scott, and they had a big guy, Len Forshner, who ended up getting called up to Kamloops and win the Memorial Cup that year. But Anyway, it, it, those guys were big, and I knew it. And this particular dude, I believe his name was Adam as well. But anyway, anyway, it happened. And uh, but, uh, he, he, he kicked the shit out of me. And the other two big dudes I just mentioned, and then another couple guys, the goalies were even into it, actually. Um, and anyway, anyway, I get kicked out. I get whisked off. I'm fucking bleeding like a stuck pig. Kind of happy, though. I get in the room, and my dad at the time is there. And um, he'd end up coaching later in the year. Our coach got called up to Victoria, and there wasn't a whole lot of great hockey minds in the community. So not an insult either, but, you know, dad played pro. But at this point, he's not. But, I, you know, he, he's kind of – he's up there, and he's, he doesn't know how I'm going to, you know, respond to any of this either. And I think he was kind of happy that I wasn't th- – th- I think he might have thought, you know, I'm going home, dad. Fuck you. I'm going home. But that wasn't the thing. But I got in the room, and I was shaking, shaking, shaking. And Dave Standing passes me a beer, and then I looked at Dad. I'm like, you know, this is like kind of – I know I'm a little early for this, but it's a coming-of-age <laughs> thing. Like, I, right, and Dad said, fuck it. And then he, he looked at the boys, and the game ended. And uh, anyway, I was sitting there, and I stayed in there with, with, in my underwear having beers with the boys. It's the first I ever had that feeling. It, it almost – I felt like crying. There was so much emotion that I'd finally, like, I was accepted. And, like, some – like, it wasn't my biggest – fear now in the world like I, I could get a little bit of respect the emotion came pouring out so I'm sitting in there I ended up having five or six beers too got a good buzz on with the boys <laughs> and so anyway I went and they said the next time we play Williams Lake we're gonna fucking get that guy for you and I started to realize I was gonna make the junior team which was great I was like okay I'm gonna play junior here first year Bantam wild so the, the, the week came and went, and, you know, I'm starting to make my way in school a little bit, only because of that. They respected the fact I got shit kicked. But it's a, they're calling me Newfie, but it's, it's a term of endearment. You yes. know, Newfie, a lot of people. It's not like, you fucking Newfie. Now it's like, hey, Newf, what the fuck, man? You're going you're gonna to fight again the weekend? Yeah, yeah, like it's like that. And I'm going fucking rights. Now, I knew I was. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I'm going to go back right at that fucking guy before Chris Spencer gets a chance. Because Spencer said, I'm going to get him. But same junior then, AA, you got kicked out. Was no suspension. But if you fought, you got kicked out. So he's like, we'll wait till the end of the third period here. I'm like, okay. So anyway, we went for breakfast that day. And uh, I'm nervous. I know that I'm going to fight before any of them. Um, if nothing else, man, he had a pride. Like, I was kind of pissed off, too. I'm like, you know, that motherfucker knew I was 14. I was yeah. a sackless piece of shit. And f- now, later, years later, I found out a lot of their players thought so, too. They're like, yeah, man, we weren't going to go at you right off the bat. Um, I say right off the bat because I started a bunch of shit after that, and I had to. But anyway, so uh, we're, we, we go for breakfast or brunch or whatever, pregame meal. So 
and I remember the, the waiter in Cornell, and I, it said any breakfast, any time on the sign. Now, I'd heard, I kind of stole the idea because I'd seen it on a stand-up special from someone in the 80s. But it, it, so he goes, any breakfast, any time. He goes, what would you like? And I said, I'll have uh, an Egg McMuffin during the Ice Age. And uh, <laughs> just to get a laugh, anyway, Cornell's a tough place, and this guy honest to my god fucking he said you want to wipe that smile off your face you want to go outside <laughs> i swear to god man that happened on the game day so anyway i'm like fuck this is a tough place like i got in fights back here but they were grade school fights fucking waiter challenging a guy outside because of an order but anyway we get to the fucking rink and we go around and warm up and i know what's going to happen now it was my first case of those crazy jitters like i'm gonna fight i'm gonna fight this guy and um, again, looking back, it's, it's, it's probably a good thing. Like, it sh it, I, I, if I saw that out of a kid, it would probably show some kind of crazy competitive nature. But I didn't see it like that. Nobody thought that I was going to fight. I mean, nobody. They thought it was a novelty. That was over. Yeah. So I went out, and I'll tell you exactly what I did. I fucking carved up my helmet so on the way on the ice and there's a local guy named jason helzel i can't take credit for this jason helzel that was on the team the year before you know every mill town and cornell was the kind of place you know even though it was junior a and then there was the bcj and the q and and, and there's sort of the rocky mountain league but a lot of locals played in the rocky mountain league and then they worked in the mill like the bcj you're trying to get a scholarship in the in the in the, the, the rocky mountain you were a lot of guys made the dub because of toughness but it was more like there was a lot of community players on the team. You might play in Vernon and there's nobody from Vernon on your squad. Cornell, it was like half was, was so that was kind of good too, because a lot of them took me under their wing. So Helzel comes in, you know, he, he was like the legend from the year before. Now he's 21 and he's moved on, but you know, he's in the room and everybody's listening and he just comes over. He shows me, he goes, fuck, he goes, <laughs> take a fucking file and chip up the side of your helmet. Cause he goes, every time they miss, he misses you. It's going to fucking, or he hits you. Sorry it's going to chip up his hands and I'm going, yeah. And I've since seen, I saw Kevin killer Kaminsky post one of his helmets uh, from. Uh, I posted it last year. Did you? Okay. Okay. That was I, you. Wasn't I, it? I was in yeah. an event in Saskatchewan and I hadn't okay. seen that one before, but it was all, it was all jagged on his helmet, like right on the front here. And anytime it got ripped, I was like, fuck, I've never seen this. So I tweeted a picture well, of it. I was like, it was a, it must have been a Western. Yeah, it must have been a Western Canadian thing. When I looked at it, I was like, boom, like I'm, it's, it's verifying what I've said for years. Like people thought I was the only one. I'm like, no, like, I'd love, I know it's a, it's a funny story and I'd love to take full credit, but it wasn't. And I don't think it was like even a, just a Jason Hellzell thing, clearly, if Kaminsky was doing it. Well, that's I, exactly. I let, let's just say, I've talked to a lot of guys over the years. You're the yeah. only two that I've heard. So okay. it's not, it's not like, it's, it's still fucking crazy. Man. It still is crazy. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, I went out there and I fucking knew that that was on the go, but that's one part of it. Now I'll tell you what happened. So we go on the ice and um, it was, it was all right. I remember it. You only remember certain goals. I remember like five goals scoring in Quinnell. If I had to think, maybe more. But, but I remember this one completely. Puck came in, rebound. I went to the net. And I shot it in. The place went fucking bananas. I scored. <laughs> and like now they're like, and I started to hit back. Now half the team knows that I'm 14 and I'm playing with a grudge. I got a tough team though. That's Tri-City weren't nuts. They could have put me anywhere. Right, they could have put me anywhere they yeah. wanted, but they knew Quinnell were going to have a very, very, very tough team in a very tough league. 
So that I picked up on too. But, uh, you know, I was throwing my weight around. And every time I did, the place was going bananas. It was while the, the fucking, they were shaking the boards. And that, they loved the fact that this 14-year-old new flag guy's out there playing for them. And um, so anyway, I, I was all full of confidence then. And I went over to the bench and I said, come on. I said, let's go. You wanted to go me once? You're going to go me fucking now. And he's like, what? I said, you, you know I'm 14. You knew it then, you fucking cunt. Now get off. And I brought up, I said, you know, there's this, this, this. You could fucking beat up anybody in my grade, grade nine math class, I bet. <laughs> Except for me. Get the fuck out. And so anyway, I give him this speech. I'm, I'm begging him. It doesn't happen at first face off and everything and i even think that no one on my team could hear what i was saying so i think they just thought i was i was chirping them anyway i went right back maddie and i reached in and i fucking went to grab his jersey i said get out anyway whether someone pushed him over the next thing i know he's jumping over and we're on the ice and we're going and i said and i, I remember mumbling to him like let me in close because he had big long arms let me in close if you got fucking balls i'm 14 so anyway <laughs> fought me in close but i, I put my helmet down and for that one game, I had like this long visor on, long one. There's long and short, whatever you can wear, whatever. But I knew what I was going to do. So I tucked my head down and he's giving it to me. He's giving it to me. And it looks like I'm getting shit kicked. Sure enough, there's blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. But as we come out from the melee, people are realizing it ain't my blood. It's his blood, right? And his hands are all fucked up. So now I pull him in. Now we're, we're kind of mauling each other. And after that happens, I take him out like this. And I'm looking at the crowd. It's like Hulk Hogan, like I'm doing that shit. I mean it. I mean it. Anybody there, Quentin Van Horlick gave me the idea. God rest his soul. He's dead now. This all sounds like I'm exaggerating, but no, I'm not. Quinnell people know exactly what I'm talking about, the night of it. So I fucking, I'm giving it. Now I hold him out and like on a string and I'm boom, 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 like a yo-yo. I'm pulling him in. I'm fucking giving it to him. I go off. It's still one of the best ovations. The place was moving. I went off. Now I'm loving it. I go into the dressing room. The boys come in after. They're like, how in the fuck did you do it? How did you? And I told them, I said, well, some of them knew about the helmet and they're laughing. And then I pulled it out of the dressing room. I had hot sauce from that meal earlier that day. I took a fucking bottle of hot sauce. And I went over into the fucking sink before the fucking game. Might have done it again before the period because I think it was in the second I fought him. Like a, quite a bit of time went by. And I fucking bathed my hands in it. I fucking bathed him in it. And I know what it felt like because I wiped my, er my eye earlier that game and fucking I, I couldn't even go out for the next shift. So I can imagine what he must have felt like. And I fucking gave it to him, gave it to him, knowing when I held him out, he can't see. So he's not going to do anything. And fucking, anyway, the boys loved it so much. They took me to a party after the game at the, in Quinnell. There's a place called the Four By. And it's like out in the middle of the woods in the upper Dragon Lake, I believe, area of Quinnell. I, I think that's what it's called. And it's in behind there. You can get to it, but it's out of the way. And it's a big dirt road. So, so you know, it's a real privilege if one of the boys with a truck asks you to go down to the Four By. You know, and some people were still waiting to go to the Four By. And I'd been in Quinell a week or so. So I was loving it, right? So, and again, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm in grade 10 because I skipped a grade, but I, I would be in grade nine. The people my age that I went out there associating with, they're, they're in grade nine. Nobody in grade nine gets to go, barely anybody in grade 10. So anyway, I'm going out there and it's just one of these places, like there's a huge fire pit and 
by that I mean as big as like five houses. Like it's just it's been used over the years. It's a huge just mound, and you throw yeah. whatever in there, and you're 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 lighting it on fire, and you're playing tunes. I remember never-ending Metallica Enter Sandman. That fucking album was out. It was just on, the, or the Black Album. It was just constant. But anyway, anyway, um, just to give you some imagery, but a girl comes over, and we're just sitting there, and I'm having some beers. And Quinnell's one of those places. I won't name names, but there's like pe- there's teachers in my school that are there, like smoking weed with the boys. And from that time, weed was way more out there than now. I, I I didn't partake in that. I got to be honest. I'm not trying to be like, oh, oh. I did shortly, maybe six months later, I had a puff. But even then, I felt drugs were like, like I associated with weed with like cocaine. Like I, I in Newfoundland, it was just like, I'm a hockey player, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'd quickly get a little bit more, not quickly, shortly get more liberal as time went on. I was Thank never, you, Trudeau. What? Yes. Thank you, Trudeau. Yes, exactly. Basically, right? Because then it was, and and weed isn't cocaine. So, like, no. you know, looking back, but I'm glad I didn't love it early on. But yeah, that particular night I didn't. But the girl came over to me, and she, uh, to be honest, she she had some Trident gum or something like that. She said, "Do you want one?" And she made reference that it was some kind of aphrodisiac. Whatever happened, she liked my style because I just fucking kicked the shit out of a tough guy, <laughs> and I took her over like maybe twenty or thirty feet away. And we were making out and everything. It's a cold, cold night. It was, you know, September. I guess it had to be September's exhibition. And, um, you know, it was getting there. The days were warm, but the nights were cold. And there was a bit of frost and stuff. I remember we, I laid her down. And, and, and she, she I, I blew my load as she's putting the condom on. Jim? Oh, oh no. Oh, no. And I'm like, fuck. So... <laughs> Now, the, hey, it's I'm, good. End, I'm merely even... ending the story. You asked me about, did I ever do anything during a fight? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, it's good. It doesn't even count as a notch on her belt if you blow a load before you I get know. the condom well, on. This is what happened. She, so she's putting it on. I'm going, holy shit. Like, I knew I came. I did not. I still don't know if she did. But I'm going, you know, you're, you're still hurt for a little bit after. And again, I'm 14. And I'd never been late. I'd never been to second. I don't think I'd been seen the uh, past the belt i'd been up a shirt at home i think once i think maybe twice but anyway i'm there and i'm going and i'm rock hard at this point and you know i don't really remember but i'm 14 i didn't need much else so i was just like i'll put it in and act like i'm enjoying it meanwhile it's killing me because i just blew my load but anyway i'm waiting <laughs> after about 10 minutes i can go again right so i'm uh, well i can blow again i mean i kept having sex and uh, just straight up missionary, I'm loving life. I'm sure you could see my bare white ass going, right? Pants are, are, are clothes are just down as much as they need to be. And uh, <laughs> I believe she went to light up a smoke during, if you can believe it. Fuck, I swear <laughs> to God. Quinnell's that kind of place. <laughs> anyway, when we were just starting. And um, so anyway, I finally, I, I, I blow my load and I, 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 I don't know why I how else better to articulate it that sounds uh that sounds ignorant but yeah i blew my load i blew my load whatever so she's i get up though i stand up now i'm thinking because where we went there's a lot like i'm thinking nobody knows we're here it's dark you know and but everybody knew exactly what she was up to she could have even told them i don't really know looking back but when i stood up the boys and had told people, and so there was like 15 to 20 cars if there was one lined up 
like next to each other and they all turned on their lights and they started chanting noof 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 <laughs> now that sounds terrible for her but she knew about it so like that I, that's Cornell so anyway I got up I guess she she was part of welcoming me to Cornell I went back man I did up my pants I went back and the boys grabbed me and from that point on I was a Quinnell millionaire. I was a hockey player. I was never going back to Newfoundland until my career was over. What a time <laughs> to answer your question about if I ever had an advantage in a fight. <laughs> uh, first of all, craziest fight story I've ever heard in my life. And I'm glad you didn't use it in Montreal when we fought. <laughs> Second of all, there's not a guy that's listening right now. And my demographic literally is 100% male to my podcast. <laughs> There's not one guy that doesn't have that story about blowing the load before we get in and getting the condom on. And I just want to take the moment because I didn't get laid. I told you I was, I was undersized, underdeveloped uh, till I was 18. I didn't get laid till I was 18. So I want to throw a shout out to Valerie uh, because I had one of those, those oops moments that probably wasn't great for her. And probably for the next, you know, three or four girls along the way wasn't great along the way, but we all have those stories. We'll also have one that I've heard, um, fiction or fact, a sledgehammer is involved. Cause I, I, I got hurt before training camp one year. I fell off my motorcycle, ripped my groin, but we had camp like three days later. So I had to get on the ice and pretend like I hurt myself in training camp just in case I was out a few months that I'd get paid. Yeah, so I yeah. got on, oh, yeah. limped on and. Pulled the groin, came off, and I was out for a couple weeks, then fine. I've also heard of guys slamming their hands in toilet seats to break their hand because they knew they were getting sent down and they want to get like another couple months of salary in the NHL. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. I heard a sledgehammer story for you, and what made me think of it is your, your little jibber that's missing there. Yeah. Um, okay. What happened to the jibbers? Uh, okay, so... This was during that I told you about Montreal, and the thing is, I I chose not to go back to Montreal camp. That that was the problem. Like with a lot of people say they don't really know what happened. I think I played the contract out and I got traded. No, that that didn't. I chose not to go back to camp. It was a stupid decision, but I was left kind of out in limbo. So that year I went down to Colorado Springs. I played in the West Coast League. Now it's all the East Coast League. At the time there was the West Coast League, the East Coast League, the Atlantic Coast League. I think the East Coast absorbed it all and called itself the ECHL at any point. And anyway, um, I, I went to Colorado and I, I, I got my arms skated over and I, I was out for that year. So now all of a sudden I'm holding out asking for this trade and I'm hurt in one of the double A leagues. I'm going, fuck. And I had good stats and everything. I was rolling along. And I mean, a guy skated over. I still have pins and needles on, on, in my hand on the outside of it to this day. I just got used to it. I could, I could have, you know, taken my insurance then. But anyway, and then finally the next year, I go to um, Dallas camp. Uh, I, I called Reggie and whatever happened. Two years had gone by. My career was stagnant. The Canadians were no better off. We realized that, A, I should have gone back to camp. B, he should have traded me after that, whatever. And we had a decent conversation. He said, because they still own your rights or whatever if they own your contract, right? And he goes, I oh, will set you free, whatever. And he, I think he even re recommended Dallas because Bob Gainey was the GM in Dallas and Reggie must know him well. You know, he's Montreal Canadian. Yeah. I believe that was the case because I remember 
him speaking highly of Dallas. So I went to Dallas camp. Okay, so, well, I know I knew I was going to Dallas camp. So I'm, I'm playing in the summer, but it's the first summer that I, I'm not covered under insurance. So I, and I don't even really think about that. Uh, and I was just getting into ball hockey and, and roller hockey, uh, inline hockey in the summer. So I was actually playing inline. And I was on a breakaway and I kind of stumbled or I got tripped, whatever happened. But when you're playing inline and you got like woolen socks on like we were wearing at the time, and like my, my knees hit and my face just came straight down. There's no give. That's why I, I ended up playing on the national team and we'd wear those long Cooperalls that they wore in the 80s right before you, like a few teams. Um, I think the OHL Philadelphia wore them. had them, Hartford had them. Yes, those things, right? Because you can slide when you're... So anyway, but I wasn't wearing them during this time. And I, I fucked, so I, I, I cracked my front two teeth. Now, it looked like Dumb and Dumber. Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. That, that's what I look like. So, and I actually have lots of pictures from that summer. Um, and I went, I went out to Cornell, actually, and visited my friends, all with the teeth. And I was waiting, I was waiting, because the thing is, I just figured I'll get them fixed when I go to camp, like I would in Montreal. I wasn't thinking that, of course they are, because they owe it to me, and it costs a lot of money, and you're in Canada and all this, Right. I'm not thinking I'm going to go to Dallas and they don't own me. I'm working for a contract and I can't just go to the dentist like I can here. Not thinking any of that shit. So I'm waiting. So the thing is the nerves were exposed though. So for about a month, because I did it, I think at the beginning of August, like I was going around, but again, it was like, I'm like, I'll just get it paid for ball hockey or inline hockey covered a thousand dollars insurance. So it's like, fuck, I'll just do it down there. So it was hurting so bad. I was wearing for a lot of the time a mouth guard around uh, because it was when I breathed in, it was the yeah. nerves that were exposed. Fucking hurts, so, man. It, yeah, it kills, right? So I went down, then I get to Dallas and I will go in and I'm like, okay, you know, doc, send me in the right direction, fix me up. He's like, what are you talking about? And what he said made sense. So, you know, you haven't signed a contract or anything. I'm like, you're right. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I just kind of put it off and I was used to just injuries getting taken care of. So now I'm going out and I'm playing for a contract. Now I fight John Erskine. Anybody there will tell you this. I know it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating. John Erskine and I fought five times in one day. It was in one game. It was in one game. We went there and we were going. And he's a fucking tough big guy, man. He was hitting me hard. But I was there for a reason. And that summer I was down to 7% body fat. I didn't take steroids, as they say, but it, it was called like... A, Whatever way they got around it, it was like uh, cut you up. It was like what marathon runners they told me, and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, whatever. Um, I don't even know what it was, but I, I took it, and I was fucking not jacked, but I was ripped. I was not even seven percent body fat. I remember getting tested, and I did you know the max push-ups, all that shit, and that was kind of out of character. I was just ready for this, and I didn't give a fuck who it was, John Erskine. I did not care. It could have been fucking Tony Twist, whatever. This is my shot. You could break my face. But it was good fights. And, uh, and I remember them for camp. Um, they put me a little bit on a line with um, Madonna and Latin. And, and maybe there was something to that, you know, because I, I usually would play with like Linger, like Langkow, like Darren Colburn and Senior, usually play with probably the best player on the team for those reasons that I might be able to fight a little bit and not protect them, but, you know, yeah. take 
absorb some of that physicality and set him or her up, or, or him, him or her, and set him up. But, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I was set to play with Mike Madan. I'm just saying it was a nice fit. After those fights with Erskine, it was nice that they put me on a good line. Yeah. I'm rolling along, okay? So we're playing um, inner squad then, and it's narrowed down. And now there's probably, I don't know, because there's exhibition going on. I know that I was going to play against Chicago the very next night because Sean Thornton, we talked, and he was just cutting it too. He was just getting in there. We played in St. John's on the Maple Leafs just a couple years before, and we agreed if nothing's going on, we're going to go. So um, anyway, things were good. Bob Basson was there. I remember he was the assistant coach. We, he was talking to me a lot. I remember things going well. And I went out in the inter-squad game. We were doing the horseshoe, and like – I'm I'm coming to just doing the half ice horseshoe and and as I'm doing it, like the D were breaking out. We were doing it some weird way. And anyway, pucks were in the corner and Darian Hatcher fell on a puck, and then he he in turn like fell into me, and sprained gave me a high ankle sprain. So now I'm like I, I, it's one of those weird injuries. I still feel it, man. It ended up knocking me out. That was my career ender, really. But it's one of those like it's not like I went off the ice right away. Like I was like fuck, something's fucked up. I just started to play through it. And I'm like, ah, something's right. And then I woke up the next day. I'm like, whoa. And I went in and, and they were like, we're not going to sign you now. It, it, it looked like they were going to. They told me, honestly, it was between me, John Sim, and Rob DeMaio. And, and the other thing, Don Hay coached in Utah. And he had not only played with my dad, he, he coached Kamloops in my division in junior. So I knew he'd give me a shot. Yeah. And th they said, you know, the plan was for you to play a little bit up and down. And DeMaio and Sim ended up, I believe they won the cup that year or the year after. I can't really remember. I think but. Sim won a cup with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, again, I'm not saying that I'm better than those. I'm just saying the plan was yeah. they were looking at the three of And D'Amelio was an NHL vet, but whatever. They were like, this is how you're going to get your games. We're going to start you in Utah, and hopefully you're going to be up. That was being said. And I had a contract worked out and everything. Because I told him, I said, I'll take the minimum. Like, it doesn't matter. Give me one year and I'll take the minimum. And I, was, I just sat the fuck out, and I was confident. So it wasn't much to work out. And um, anyway, anyway, he fell on, uh, on me. And um, I, Bobby Basson and a few more said, you know, why don't we send you to Boise? That was their double A affiliate. And you'll sign with Boise if you're doing well, you know, come back up. Sure enough, the fucking first game did the same thing in Boise. It fell on it. I, sh I shouldn't have kept playing. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm like, at some point, I got to get these teeth deal dealt with. Because after all that happened, I still had to go. And it happened, honestly, it happened on September fucking 11th. I'm not kidding. Sorry, 10th, 2001. So the next day, wow. not to be callous to everything else that happened. Yeah. And the weird thing is, Erskine was my roommate. So we just went at it five times. So, you know, it was really, it was just one of those odd things. Uh, not that we ended up going out for pizza, but it was just weird. and. Um, I had to sit there then for like two, seven or two, not a lot of people had a lot worse problems on that day. I'm just saying my teeth are fucking killing me. And now I wait a week or two just to get on a flight back to St. John's to go then to Boise, which started like a month down the road. It wasn't even close to starting yet. Those leagues. So I get back, I fucking get another mouth guard. I'm, I'm going around. It looks like I'm fucking sucking on an orange peel is what it looks like. And people are starting, like, this, two, two months have gone by. With, I got this mouth. So I go down there. I walk in in Boise. I'm like, sign my deal. 
I go in, Kip Dribnak, trainer, Kippy, hook me the fuck up, fix these immediately. And I tell him how fucking hard it's been with them, the nerves, when I did it, all the, how I did it. And he's like, well, I, I can't do it. You didn't do it here. Oh, I'm like, come, come the fuck on. He goes, well, you just told me. We, you're not going to be that fucking cheap. And he's like, well, and I'm not going against what Kip said. I shouldn't have fucking blatted it out like that. I should have gone there and acted like you did. Like, there's ways I could have acted like I did it, you know, that morning. I could have done it on the way to the fucking rink. You're in fucking pain, though, man. I'm in pain, pain. So I come in the room. Then I tell the boys my plan. I say, I'm going to knock them out myself because they're chipped. They're chipped. All I got to really do is chip them a little bit worse. All I, once I need dental work, they're going to get fixed, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I don't have to do much here with them. I just chip out one. But the thing is, the center of gravity, these teeth, was, they're shorter. So it was really hard to just chip a part off, right? It's not that they were elongated teeth. And well, I, didn't, I didn't really think about that, whatever. So the boys are in the room. As soon as I say it, there's money going around. There's, is he going to do it? Is he not? And there's like a thousand or 1500 bucks in like five minutes bet on me that I'm going to do it more against me. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm doing this, but I'm not going to be obvious and do it today. Cause I also want to get the money, not just win the bet. And it's going to be too obvious for these people knowing, Oh, he came in the next day. So I said, well, fuck it. So Kip, what if I hurt him any worse, you know, than this? He said, well, then we'd pay for it. So, okay. Got you saying that. So went back. Anyway, a couple of weeks went by. Then I'm sitting there with Bobby Stewart. I wouldn't tell this story if there weren't witnesses because I know it sounds fucking nuts. Um, but I went back with Bobby Stewart, who lives in Toronto now. Scored a big goal for Maine Black Bears in the late 90s when they won the NCAA. Um, and he's like, uh, so you're going to do it? I said, fucking definitely going to do it. So we stayed in complexes then. Like in the coast, they often put you like there's a communal pool and hot tub and workout yeah. area, and then there's all these apartments. It was actually a cool setup, so I, I enjoyed that part of it. The party and, pool. Yeah, the party pool. So that's exactly where we went. We, we went down to that like area with the, with the boys and the girls with a bunch of wives and girlfriends over their kids, like whatever. So I'm, I'm getting juiced, and um, I go back up to my apartment for a little bit, I come back down. I'm like, I'm ready to go here. So Jeremy Milmock, who's a legend out that way. And uh, he now I believe he runs Notre Dame hockey, but uh, in, in, in Canada, the Notre Dame and Wilcox, Saskatchewan. So he's there and his kid is either had just left or whatever it was, but he's got a little Nerf hammer. Like it's, it's one of these little tiny, it's a hammer, but it's like big for, it's big enough for a three-year-old. But I figured I can knock these out. Right. So I, okay, boys, here we go. And they're like, no way, right? <laughs> so they all gather around and I go to do it and I can't budge. Like it's to say th these wouldn't have chipped my face, my, my teeth out, no matter if I hit, you know, it could have been Andre the Giant coming from downtown. They weren't <laughs> being chipped out with this hammer. So I said, what else do I got? I had nothing in between. I had a sledgehammer up in my house for some reason. I don't know why. I've never used a sledgehammer. Why there was one in my apartment, I have no fucking idea. I forgot that part. But anyway, me and Stewie go up. And everybody else is there. Matt Oates. Uh, fuck, uh, there's, I can go down Scott Swanson. I go down the list, but it'll bore you. Story goes long enough. Uh, and I go upstairs. And Stewie's there. And my ex-wife. I had a wife at the time. My ex-ex-wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, we had a good Barry time. Very the one. Yeah, the Boise was, yeah, yeah, carry the one. 
she's there and you know she's kind of surprised because i don't think she believed i was going to do it either but i believe she she went out with the girls or whatever so i'm sitting there in my apartment now stewie's there got the sledgehammer and i look in the mirror and i'm kind of like kind of coordinate in the like so i i put my my teeth up like this and i'm like okay i'm gonna get them again though it's gonna be hard i'm I'm thinking about it i'm like this sledgehammer it's gonna be hard not to hit my gums like how am i gonna so i go like one two and i'm practicing i'm practicing and then i go to do it but the end of a sledgehammer is so heavy that i go to bail like i change my mind when it's really close to my face and i go to bail but the weight of it carried towards my mouth. And if you see my chin. Yeah. So I have a slit. So it, it hit my chin so hard. I could honestly put my tongue through my lip. Like I could see my tongue and I'm going now blood is everywhere. Now I'm going, what do I got to do? And I'm thinking I got to get stitched at the very least. Like this has gone wrong. Everybody's going to know why, but it's like $10,000. I'm thinking it's $10,000. It's $10,000. And I don't want to let the boys down either. In my mind, there's more reasons to do this than not. And there's blood everywhere. So then I go, one, two, three. And I fucking hit myself as hard as I can. But, oh, fuck, man. My gums took a beating. And the first four teeth, they all came out, like, completely. Yeah. So, and they're just all over. Like, there's shards coming. There's, like, a couple of full teeth in the sink. And, like, they're, like, indented. The, The two that weren't a problem to begin with they're like sitting there like halfway in and i'm like gotta pull it and i realize how big a tooth is right because like i said these two that were chipped now are i can't even see them they're completely chipped off and the other one is completely out and the other one all i gotta do is give it a slight and and so my front four teeth are completely gone and i'm fucking i can't remember who but a few people had come up so like maybe one wife or two there was a kid there was like had to come into the apartment to see what i was up to and, ah, i remember hearing shrieks i remember hearing shrieks then i go down and i go to the pool and i'm trying to say shut the fuck up to everybody and there's they're running around there's blood everywhere uh fuck matt martin and deanne martin that's what i'm thinking oh, Her, their place was right by the pool and we're down there and they're going okay matt's like fuck what's going on? so anyway now what i've got to do what i've got to do is I've got to act like I did this on the ice the next day. <laughs> so, and everybody has seen it. They're, I'm going, fuck, word's going to get out. Are they going to be in trouble? Like, I don't want to get that. So some of them have seen it, and I'm still going to make up the story the next day anyway. And the rest of the boys, I'm figuring, are just going to shut up, which is what they did. But I still had the, I was fucking, I had all this, my face looked mangled, man. It looked mangled. And I needed a doctor's attention, like ASAP. So I took, you know how I got my lip together? I crazy glued it together. So, because again, I don't want to go get stitches and ruin the whole thing. So I crazy glued it today, right? Never did get stitches. I could see my tongue on one end for fuck's sakes. And then uh, anyway, um, when we got to the rink, I kind of put my mouth over or my hand over my mouth and I'm talking to Stewie and everybody's laughing. They know what's happening. But when Kip runs in and John Oliver is the coach, he comes through and all I'm saying is like, hey, boys, how's it going? How's the wife and kids, Kip? And I'm talking like under my breath with my hand over my mouth. Just so they'll, if they can remember some kind of conversation with me before the practice. And not seeing and, it, yeah. And not seeing it, they're going to think fucking, yeah. They're, they're going to think, you know, self-mutilation was probably the last thing that they're going to think, right? So, and exactly, but it's, but it's early and, and there's probably only three or four of us there, to be honest. 
And Stewie just says, let's get the fuck on the ice right now. I go out with Stewie, and he says, I'll shoot one up by your ears, which he did. And he said, you fall down. He shot one very fucking close to my face, to be honest. I think he got off on it. In any case, I had them taped to my I, – I always um, wore a girdle, not hockey pants, when I could. So I um, – then they're really tight. So all I had to do was put them in there, and they were going to stick to me kind of thing. And when I went out – and all I had to do was, like, nick. I had to go once over my already – bad wound and it was going to start bleeding again so i just did that and i threw the teeth and uh you know that was about it and and at that point that i came in i had it all planned out like i came in i knew what was going to happen i had crazy glue there i had to come up with how did i get my lip together everything like it was it was an elaborate plan but in the end it ten thousand dollars was saved and my side of the argument my side of the uh, bet won all their money so whatever and i know that sounds nuts maddie but Bobby Stewart, wherever you are, just ask him. Jeremy Melmock, Matt Martin, whoever was there. Remember in episode one, I said how eloquent you spoke. You're fucked up. That that that's as good as it gets. That, people are listening right now, going, "Holy fuck!" And I've heard stories along the way. I've heard the broken hands. Mine was a groin. It was pretty pretty easy. It wasn't to that degree. That that that's some fucked up shit and confirmation and. That's unreal. But people are listening right now going, man, he's speaks- <laughs> a long story. I talk too much, though. That's the thing. There's a happy medium between creating imagery and just one-liners, like just answering the question for the sake of it. And I, I, I'd like to fall somewhere in the middle. I know I talk a little bit too much, but rather, rather err on the side of detail than not, right? I love it. People that are listening are loving the details. I, I wanted to end with what you're doing now, what you've done. You wrote your first book. Um, what made you go there, do that? And now you're writing a second. When I said, can you come on? You're like, yeah, I'm just writing another chapter in my book. I get up, I write another chapter and, and do it. Are you doing it all by yourself? Was the first one all by yourself? Did you have a ghostwriter to help you? Um, and acting, uh, all encompassed into one, um, the acting part of it. Because I think acting so cool. I think it would be the hardest thing to do. I, I can write and I'm not bad at, at capturing and telling stories, but acting is a fucking totally different beast. How'd you get into the book? Why a second book? What's it about? And obviously the acting and how, how has that come about? Yeah, well, it all kind of, one led to the other and the hockey led to all of it really, but um, it's a good question. So in 2009, um, like I said, the senior league was very healthy here in Newfoundland and I was playing for Cornerbrook and, um, they were taking care of my courses and that, that plus in my contract with Montreal, which was signed way before that, I had a couple of courses, a semester that they would pay for it was in my contract. So essentially I had an opportunity to get free schooling. So in 2009, and it ran out, I think, in 2010. So I was 32. I went back, and I got a folklore degree. So I, I took six, five, six courses all the way through. When you don't have – you know, I had a young uh, daughter on the way. Um, I was raising Tyson, BJ's son. Uh, I was married. We, we, we lived on a, on a pond there. there were, it was a different mindset than when you're 20 going back to school, right? Yeah. You, we're going to school, and you get booze and, you know, frat nights and all this shit. I had not, none of that to deal with. And I enjoyed it. And uh, I'd, I'd enjoyed it. And, and I went in and, I, but what, what happened was I took these random courses to get my general electives, 20, I, 
went into for an arts degree. I was going to be either an elementary teacher or a lawyer. I wanted to try. So I knew I had 20 courses of general studies and then I had 20 more specific. I just didn't know what. Do I want to do a history major? Do I want to do an English major? So I just enjoy, and so I took folklore and a lot of people, I mean, it's part of my stand-up act. Like, and it doesn't even, sometimes I say I got a folklore degree, people start laughing. I know it sounds nuts, but folklore is kind of a mix between like traditions and like history and heritage. Like it's big in Newfoundland. We got one of the best departments in the world here, here in Kentucky. I hear, uh, you know, they, they have a history of the, uh, you know, the Ozark mountains and stuff. And there's a lot that goes with that culture, right. And over time and, and in Newfoundland, you know, like where Danny Cleary's from, Harbor Grace, that's the oldest, you know, that's the oldest part of, of North America. That, well, St. John's is the oldest city, but John Guy landed in Cupid's, which is in Harbor Grace, in 1602, I believe. And so, and then, you know, people, all year round, I mean, I don't want to insult native, natives that were here. I mean, all year round, the way we know European settlers, I'll go there because I don't want to be ignorant and I would be being ignorant if I, if I ignored them big part of our heritage but anyway yeah so first year-round settlements um as we know it 1602 and then it, so that quickly followed suit all over newfoundland so you get these old communities that took some traditions with them but um you know haven't you know they haven't moved on it's it's not, like if you live in alliston ontario you know often or or red deer alberta you know, you can get a job and hop over to Edmonton or, or maybe you get one in Saskatchewan, hop over to Saskatchewan for two years and come back. If you're from Newfoundland, it's a big decision to go. And people that go come back. We got Fort McMurray's over half the population came from Newfoundland at some point. And, you know, a lot of them come immediately back. Not that we don't like other places. We love home for a lot of reasons. So, and I love that. So the study of Newfoundland is really the study of the beginnings of, of, of our history in North America, as, like I said, as we know it. And a whole lot comes with that. And the more I took, the more I loved. And then getting to know Newfoundland poets and, and writers and bands, you know, and taking folklore, you know, you can take music courses. Um, I took one course, um, Jim Morrison as God. The whole course was it, it, write me a paper and tell me that Jim Morrison is God. So, he's, you know, he's, it's a spiritual event. People go to see him. The doors, they're looking up. He's got a light behind him. He's looking down. They know the words. He's preaching. That sort of thing. And I found it really interesting. So when I went to and see do the same in, heroin he's doing, you'll feel like you're God. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's lots of you could put that as long as you can back up the point. That's what I love about arts too. Yeah. It's not math where it's right or wrong. I can go in, and the thing about a history degree, and I enjoyed it. I took history courses, but like if you're taking World War One, say, um, you know, the, you you got to repeat something back to the teacher that he or she already knows. If you're doing folklore, though, I could do like I did superstitions in hockey. I called Ryan Clough, Shane Corson, a bunch of my buddies, you know, and it's easy to do. I can do the history of bingo in Mount Pearl. You know, yeah. anything is folklore. So it was an easier ride. I was interested. It's easier because I was interested. Anyway, anyway. so I get it. But I, then I come out and now in 2012, I get my degree. I go three years hard and I, I get accepted for education again to be an elementary school teacher but that lasts I got to do at least one more year of schooling and I'm like I, I gotta shit or get off the pot though now I do have a daughter she's two um you know we got to pay our bills I'm still playing senior hockey but you know relying on senior hockey the league could fold the next day I don't know what's going to happen and it wasn't my full income I was getting five six hundred a game um which was nice but you know I got to figure this out 
So one of my buddies, Alan Hocko, who was Jake Doyle on Republic of Doyle. A lot of Canadians will know that show. Um, he's been in a bunch more. Fuck, he was just in uh, The Fugitive, whatever is it? Or uh, any, anyway, I'll, get, I'll, go, I'll go back. He, uh, oh, Jack Ryan. Fuck, yeah, the new show, American show. Yeah, he's a big Great director. show. Yes. So he was doing Republic of Doyle here at the time, which was groundbreaking for Newfoundland, Canada, for a lot of reasons. And it blew the doors open in Newfoundland. We have a huge industry here now. So, but anyway, so there was a lot of jobs on set. So I, I, I'm like, Hawk, I need some money. And he's like, well, you know, because he plays hockey with me and we'd go to play these hockey tournaments together. And I'm not kidding you. I, he said, we'll give you a job so you can come play for Republic of Doyle, be a ringer, just kind of kidding around. But he gave me one. And people think I got acting right off the bat. I didn't, man. I was uh, like a janitor. I, I was... What I was was um, locations. So anything from making sure people don't walk into the picture, into the you know while they're filming, um, to, to giving the actors, uh, taking them to the green room, um, to cleaning fucking toilets. It could be anything. Clearing out the parking lot, doing yeah. the parking in the morning. It could be anything. It's the it's the you know I don't want to say low rung because it's I got some great and uh, take the job. It paid at least two hundred and fifty dollars a day, uh, and there's you know a lot of overtime that comes with it. So I was like sure man and uh, i took the job now as i'm on set though i'm locations normally you wouldn't even maddie be supposed to look at an actor in the eye because you know people think oh they're so pretentious no they're trying to remember their fucking lines and shit so that you're really not supposed to bother them in that but once in a while there'd be someone and we're doing a canadian show so like i can't remember but the guy that does da vinci's inquest i feel bad now i don't remember his name but he comes over anyway. He's an older guy, but he grew up in Montreal and he loves the Habs. So like Hawk looks at me. He's like, you know, you think you can, here's a few bucks. You think you can take Davey out tonight. You know, he doesn't have any scenes in the morning. And he wants to see. So then it became okay. And there's a novelty of having played in the NHL. And a lot of them look yeah. up to that. So I would often be taking the, you know, my, my definition of my job as a locations person got, you kind of twisted a little bit. And all of a sudden I was doing a little bit of everything. So, and then, you know, the same thing happens. So the same crew here in Newfoundland, we do a show called Maudie. Republic of Doyle ends, it's all great. And before it's done, sorry, I get in and I do a few stunts. And I'm talking to James Binkley is his name. And I look at him every day and I'm like, and I'm looking at these stunt people, James, and they got shoulder pads on and shit. And they're rolling down a grass mountain. I don't know if you remember, I fought Tidomi three times. Like, what the fuck here? And. So I quickly realized those stunts are about timing, not about balls. So, I mean, a little <laughs> bit about balls, but it's way more about timing. So, but anyway, I did get my foot in the door. There was a couple times a flight couldn't get in. They didn't have a stunt guy. They, you know, all you got to do is punch me. I had to fall over a fucking cliff or something. So I did a couple of, which act as credits. I didn't even realize that. So we're doing this show, Maudie. It's about Maud Lewis from Nova Scotia. Great movie, slow, but great movie. And a, it's a folk artist in like the 1920s, 30s, 40s. That's much more revered after she died kind of thing. But the, the male lead is Ethan Hawke. And I'm on set now. It goes back to normal. This isn't Hawke's show. It's the same crew and everything for the most part. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're in between and uh, Frontier. So anyway, doing the show Frontier. So anyway, we do this. But it takes about two, three months to do a movie. So we do part of it in St. John's. And while we're doing it, man, I'm walking by Ethan Hawke one day and I toss him my book. Now, you asked why the book. I'll, I'll get into that after. But my book is called Tales of a First Round Nothing. And to sum it up, basically, I got the folklore major 
when I was in school and I got an English minor. So now I knew how to, I don't have a, no, it wasn't a ghostwriter. A, now I had these stories and back here, people always go, oh, what happened? You know, they'd almost like feel bad for me or hug me and I was too bad. And I'd be like, you know, I did play in the fucking show. Like even in the minors was a good time. Like I loved it. I loved hockey. I still do. So I'm like, I went back and I looked at my diary and everything that I, I always kept a journal. I'm an only child. And it was traumatic earlier in my career. So I'm an only child. And I, it would be like my companion. So I wrote in the journal. So when I went back and looked at it, it was all positive stuff. Outside of the one or two stories about Tyrion, like I never said, this fucking sucks. I'm not getting a chance. I look yeah. back and I'm like, yeah, that was cool. So I put the book out and, and I got, I, I'd been doing some public speaking and Ron McLean and Stephen Brunt said, you know, um, maybe you, you should write this stuff down. I said, boys, I do. That's how it happened. When they call me ECW, I almost had to like edit stories out. I already had a skeleton of all of them in there because it was my journals. So anyway, anyway, and I called it tales of a first round, nothing tongue in cheek because I'm like, it's not that bad a thing, you know? Um, sorry, it's my dryer going off. So anyway, anyway, that's that's where and why and when for, with the book. Um, but now this, it, it had just come out. So this would have been like 2015. And I threw one at Ethan Hawke because like he's in the green room. I'm not supposed to be anywhere near him. I just threw it in his, in his actual chair that he was going to go back and sit in. I actually got in a little bit of shit for it. But whatever. I knew that he had been at Bonanote with me and on St. Laurent in Montreal because he hung out with Kiefer Sutherland. The Kiefer Sutherland went to every Habs game that, that he was in town for. And that St. Laurent, had, they had club, they had uh, the Globe, they had Med, and they had this place, the Bonanote. You've probably been there. Bonanote. Yeah, you know exactly. It was fucking Not deadly. a bad spot. Yeah, right? Lots of great-looking women serving. It's the first place that Shane Corson took me when he, he said, you're going to hang with me. And anyway, that's why I love the place. And so um, we went over there a couple times, and he was there. I didn't talk to him, but I, I tossed the book, and, and I'm like, if he ever approaches me, I'll bring up that. So as he, I don't think he's going to read it, man. I don't think he's going to read it. About a week go by, we're in St. John's. I don't look him in the eye. Just like I'm doing my work. I'm fucking cleaning toilets. I'm setting up tents. It's a lot of that shit, too, setting up tents. You've got to keep changing where the, where the camera is and the angles. And you got to make sure that they're, you know, under the tarps. you got to make sure the director gets somewhere to sit and everything. And everybody's coddled, too. So I'm doing all that. But now the last part of the shoot is in Trinity. And Trinity Bay is where Bonavista is. That's where Michael Ryder and Adam Party is. And I told you on the first part, that's a very remote part of Newfoundland. Um, so, you know, it's probably, I don't know, three and a half hours from St. John's, probably an hour and a half off the highway, maybe. maybe I know I'm around there. And there play, most of the places out there, you can't get cell reception. I believe you can now in Bonavista. But we were in a place called Keels in Trinity Bay, Newfoundland. So Keel, K-E-E-L-S. If you've seen commercials with Newfoundland, they say Newfoundland and Labrador, discover the outdoors or whatever, right? And you'll see, and the clothesline, like a, an, an old lady with a clothesline, they call them the clothesline commercials around here. Or you'll see a whale jump or they're going, this is where they're shooting that stuff, a lot of it. So we're in Keels and Keels is maybe 30 houses. It's, it's an abandoned community for the most part. 15 of them are being occupied by Americans that like to come up and like to kind of, I don't even think there's any Newfoundlanders, but it, it looks like 1920s Nova Scotia, which is why we were shooting this movie there about Maude Lewis. 
So anyway, I do my work and it's fucking hard. Like, cause there's only, we're, we're a shortened crew. We're out there. I got to make sure everything is there in the morning when they show up. I got to have pylons around it all. I got to make sure it's all done when they leave. So I'm the first to go in, the last to go out. And you're getting paid the least, even though it's decent money. Like you're getting paid way less than the camera guys and everything. Locations really. So anybody can kind of do it, but I'm, I'm doing it and I'm sitting there now. I'm four years in at this point, I believe. So I am learning a little bit about it. I'm seeing people act firsthand. No, you're right. I wouldn't have been able to do it at first. That's why I started doing some stunts and everything, right? Because stunts you can do, you don't even have to do much on camera. You look, it's a look when it comes to stunts and if you can do the physical part of it. But I'm starting to see this and he had to fucking shit. He had all these different emotions in this movie. It's fucking crazy what he had to do. And I'm looking at him. I'm looking at him like just come over and go, hey, what's going on? Give me a second. And then go into like a two hour or a, a 20 minute tirade and then you know to finish the day just ball his eyes out it's fucking nuts i couldn't believe what i saw from ethan hawk but i still haven't really spoken to him so anyway i'm staying in this little shack because we're shooting down in this little kind of cove these these scenes that we're getting done so anyway we're done for that day and i'm sitting there now and i'm in this little shack at the end of it little tiny thing man like as big as i don't know it's 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 a small cabin um it's got three bedrooms nothing else just walk in boom 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 tiny and that's where me and my crew slept anyway i come out at night and i got a joint there with me and i got a bottle of jack and uh i i would have opted for a beer it was it was a warm it was october really late october really weird warm evening full moon the whole shot so i come out and i'm sitting on the cliff which is like the cliff looking down is only probably 30 feet in front of my door right there's a little trailway there's no cars can even make it up there. So I sit on the edge, edge of the cliff, man. And I'm, I'm having a bottle. Or I'm it's taking a sip of Jack and I'm smoking a joint and I'm looking at the sun. I'm in Trinity Bay. It's warm out. I still got my t-shirt and shorts on really weird, weird for Newfoundland at that time of year. And I hear some footsteps behind me and I hear them. I don't know. I've, and I see a shadow. Who the fuck? Turn around. He's like, is there any room here for me? I still don't see who it is. Neil, who the fuck is? It's Ethan Hawk. It's Ethan Hawk. So Ethan sits down. And I'm like, dude, uh, do you want some of this? Sure. Okay. Now we're sitting there getting a buzz on. And I, I, I'm like, why? Why are you here? And he said, well, I loved your book and everything. And I'm like, you love my book? Like, you read it already? And then I told him about how's that Bonanoga. It doesn't say that in the book. And He's like, oh, yeah, and he acted like, remember me. I'm like, Ethan, you don't remember me, but it's all good. But I said, even, and he, he compared it. He goes, you know, it's not all about it. He gave me some words of advice and everything, man. It's a weird night. I'm stoned. I'm buzzed while the fucking sun's going down. Um, this beautiful night. And he tells me, he, he, I believe he, he referred to his friend, he said, I think coached Texas A&M, I think football. And he said he's been offered, it's Texas something, and there's a story to it. He said he's been offered 14 or 15 times for NFL contracts and everything. And he said, you know, it's about the journey. And he's a big, he said, he's a, he's a big fan of that. And he believes in that. And he said, I've seen it. So it's not always about, you know, how much time you spend up there. It's, it's about the journey. And I'm loving it. And I mean, what he said was pretty close on because it's the last thing I was expecting. And I wrote it down immediately. I told you I kept journals. This yeah. isn't all just in my head. So um, 
anyway, we got talking. Then he, then he go, I said, but really? And then he's, I'm like, I can't believe you read my, read my book. But then he's like, I got to be honest. He goes, I can't get cell reception. So he's like, <laughs> you're lucky I'm out here. He said, I would be home talking to my wife, like Kyra Cedric, I think her name. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And then so we sat there. And because of that, I had this great intimate conversation with Ethan Hawke. So then he says to me, and he gives me some tips. And he's like, just, he said, your thing. I said, I, I saw you today is crazy, you know, crying and, and all that. And, and he's like, yeah, but he said, that's, that's one part of it. And he said, you know, there, I, I didn't take a crying role right off the bat. There's a, I'm like, I guess. And then I, he said, do you think you could act? Or do you think, and I, said, I, I think and I said, I, I did some stunts. So he encourages me. Now we, 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 do we get the thing done? And now I'm going over and, and, you know, during the show when we're on break, I'm having lunch with Ethan and stuff. I'm not going to say I'm his best friend. I think he would remember me if he ran into me. I'm, in fact, I'm sure he would. I didn't even get his number, man. Um, I, I did for the here in Newfoundland, but I, I didn't want to ruin it by that. We, we hung out enough. And when we got back in, he said, he, he uh, called me. Uh, he had his Newfoundland phone. And he said, uh, do, do, do you want to take me out? Do you wanna, where do you recommend? And I took him to the place I took you guys, actually, the Bull and Barrel. And we went to a couple more places off, uh, off, off the beat in downtown and he enjoyed it. And he had a great night and we had a buzz on one night, Matt. And I had enough. I said, fuck it. And I dialed my buddy, Alan Hocko. I just told you about that was on Republic of Doyle. Now, Alan had a show coming called Frontier. I didn't know Jason Momoa was in it. I didn't know any of that. I just knew, you know, around here, there's one or two things on the go at a time. There's enough for about two or three crews. That's it. So usually there's a buzz on set and I'm like, oh, I hear about Frontier. So I called him. I think that, I think it was, you know, did, did he know where I could go and get some help acting? I, I don't think it was for an audition. I don't believe I was bold enough to ask, but he said, Frontier's coming. So he said, why don't you go in an audition? Ethan got a great idea. Why not? So I go in to audition like maybe a week later and I go in, this is old school, it's soon gonna be torn down, Fort McPherson in Newfoundland and St. John's here, Fort Mac. And we went into it and there was other actors outside. I'm sure they were thinking like, what's fucking T-Bone Locations doing here? Uh, I know they did. And, and, and I just, I went in. So I've got a audition, there's only so many things you could audition for. The main parts were set. So it, it was only like a, a, a line here or two. But this chef was in like three episodes. So I went in to be this British chef and I think I butchered it. Danielle Irvine, who's the casting director, she still says that, you know, I did all right, but I think I butchered it. I don't think I was getting anything. I did it and I had my fake tooth in and I did it again. And then I was on the way out and I, was, I took out my fucking tooth. She goes, stop. I said, okay. Now, what you'd think, I thought going in for an audition was like you see in the movies. You go on a stage and there's like everybody, all the casting people in production, the director, they're all in front of you. Yeah. Nope. Nope. It was Danielle, one other guy, Paul Wilson, to read the lines and a camera. Now, the camera was getting beamed back to Hollywood where they're half the people. It was So Frontier was Republic of Doyle, the same people, but they combined with Hollywood. That's how it got on Netflix and everything. Republic of Doyle, great show. Canadian. This frontier is next level. It's, it's American slash Canadian. Jason Momoa got involved. But I don't really know any of that. That they're there. I don't really know any of it. But the camera's pointed at me. So the guy, the dude is talking to her in a, in a, in a mic or whatever in, in her ear. And, he, and she goes, are you, and she knows the difference, I think. But she's like, he wants to know if you're Alan's friend, the hockey player. Is that why you have no tooth? So I said, yes. So, and she says, 
he, they, so the director who lives in Hollywood, now this is fluke. He's not part of the Republic of Doyle team. He's from Gander, Newfoundland. He did Journey to the Center of the Earth with The Rock. He did San Andreas. He did a bunch of like these big fucking popcorn movies in Hollywood. He's from Gander, Newfoundland. Gander, not St. Wow. John's, Gander, where, where I was driving on the weekends at the time, three hours to play for the Gander Flyers. So he's sitting there now. I'm now the, the fucking the, the audition's over. I'm on there. I'm looking at the fucking screen. And now he knows I got no tooth. He goes, yeah, he goes, you're the hockey player. He said, Gander. He said, I hear Gander got this guy, Aaron Asherman, that played in the NHL. I said, he wrote the fucking forward to my book. I go, I'm the guy who got him in, Brad. As we're, so now I don't really know what's going on. I don't even really know who Brad Payton is. She's the, I can't see him. So they stop me, and she's like, I'm going to call you. So I get home. Danielle, the casting director, calls me. She goes, we got an idea. Come out, and I need you to cry. I need this and that. I need you to say three words. Please have mercy. I'm like, three words? That's nothing. Yeah, fuck. You know, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> so I went out. I went out, man. I know I'm going on long here. I know I am. But I'll finish as fast as I can. So went out, and I did the audition at her house. At her house. It's, that's never happened either. They just had this, like, idea spur of the moment. Now, what happened was they picked me to start the show. So the very first scene in Frontier, it helped that I had no tooth because the guy got to look battered. And that's one thing hair and makeup can't really do well is, like, an empty tooth. They can put a black thing over But if you're doing a real serious scene. Yeah. Right? So the very start of the show, it's Frontier, the series, the start of the, there's no other face you see first. It's a close up of me. I'm, I got a black eye and blood everywhere. I got my tooth gone and I'm begging for my life. I'm saying, please have mercy. Right. So, and I'm learning as I go. You said, how do you do it? I'm learning as I go. Cause I've done stunts to this point. A, A, Jason Momoa, I meet him. So he comes over and he's got to slit my throat in the scene and you'll see when you watch. So he comes over and what they do, they put this like Mr. Freezy, kind of thing filled with fake blood like on my neck and they put fake skin over it but he's got a real knife so like it's still kind of scary that's what i'm saying people are like how did you get in the mode i'm like that's how it's jason momoa and he's coming over i've never met him but he's in my ear he's going i fucking hate you he's getting me in there i know now i don't know what he's doing i think he's fucking around now he comes over his knife hits me in the back while we're about to do it while we're doing a rehearsal and he goes sorry about that and i said oh i thought you were just happy to see me now, everybody started laughing. Now, you get a picture. Behind me is the scene that you'll see in Frontier. A couple of TPs. What it is, is he's kind of got this rogue group of native Canadian slash Americans that are here. And we're the British Redcoats coming in. It's, it's a true story, really. Not the actual one we tell, but it's true events. The HB, uh, HBC company, you know, the fur trading around Hudson's Bay and stuff. That's what the show is about. So they captured me, right? That's, that's the thing, me and a couple of soldiers. So behind me, you just see a couple of fires. It's very intimate. You can hear the fire cracking. But in front of my eyes that you can't see on camera is all my buddies in the crew, right? And the camera is right in my face. Camera A is right here. So I'm kind of, I'm, 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 I'm having fun, you know? So anyway, then before we do it, Brad goes, comes down and he gets in my ear and he says, I need snot, I need blood, I need tears. I need you to be fucking scared and dying. He said, you're saying have mercy. 
not because you want him to keep you alive. You're saying, kill me immediately, right? Don't drag this on. I'm going, okay. But I didn't really, like, it. I don't think I gave her enough credit as an actor, and I should have. My very first time, like, I was concentrating on the madness. He's like, I need you to cry. So he gets in my ear, and he said, I need you to picture the worst possible thing you can picture. And my daughter came right into my hand. I didn't tell him. I said, okay, I've got a daughter. I'm picturing the worst thing I can picture. He said, how much time do you need? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. 30 seconds. And he stood up. He goes, everybody here, shut the fuck up. He said, Terry needs two minutes. Now he gets in my ear and he goes, get there. And I'm going, holy fuck. Now I've got to. Now I've got to. I'm, this is a major show. I'm going, like each minute is thousands of dollars. I'm going, okay, I can't fuck up. I can't fuck up. Now there's three cameras on me. Once they get that reaction, I have to keep going through the scene because we do it 10 times, but they've got mine. He's like, I only need it once, the major fucking shit. So that's what you'll see. I go and I start, I think of it, man. And I start, it's a combination of that and where I am. It wasn't all thinking about my daughter in the worst position. It yeah. was, it was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm about to do a scene with Jason Momoa. And whether you, you know, I can say I don't, and I really don't regret anything now, but a lot of those years were tumultuous for my mind, man. Like coming out of, I, I should have played longer. No matter what, I don't, care i should have played longer i should have gotten my hunter games in and I, I it was between me and bad circumstance it didn't happen and having to answer those questions and hear everything oh he's a booze header he's got four kids he doesn't know about it i, I you know it's, it's just all that shit came running off my shoulders i'm like fuck everybody i'm in a scene with jason fucking momoa anyway he comes over he fucking does that. We go through the scene. Afterwards, he gives me a big hug. I'd never met him. He said, let's go downtown. I love your book. He says, the first thing they did when I got here, gave it to me. And he grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. Small. He said, I didn't have the money for ice hockey. He played roller hockey. He's pretty good. But I took him skating for the first time. And then he got to know my buddy, Jeremy Charles, who's one of the best chefs on the planet. Thank Shane Corsons for that in Montreal. And Jeremy's now moved on. Interesting for your show sometime. But, uh, Anyway, that was it. So then we do season one. Then in season two, I think it's episode five, he wanted to get in a hockey fight. So during, during Frontier, then he hires me as his personal assistant, Jason Momoa. So like I'm out with him and he goes, yeah, you can do a stunt if I need you. He goes, you can also get me the beer or, you know, book his events, whatever. I was getting my, like Jimmy Kimmel's number. It was crazy shit. And so that's going on. And then in episode five, um, yeah, he pulls my 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 british red coat over i got the gun and then he straight he lays me out it's a hockey fight that's what he wanted to do like he loves hockey and then in season three in episodes one and two he changed my hair and everything kind of thing and i i kind of see him around a corner and i'm a character again i'm the running man and he sees me and i run away and then um I, i'm then we had there was like a, a it looks like at the, the end of frontier it looks like this big war is happening it looks like hundreds of soldiers, but it's like 12 of us being recycled. And we went over. He took me over to Europe, or to Ireland, or England, sorry, and Scotland. And we filmed in all these castles. I won't give away the plot of the frontier of the last season, but that's why. And we're in all these old castles that no one has access to. And we were in there, and, you know, I played the, the British soldier. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And then we got back. And before back, he goes, I'm busy now for the next four years or whatever. He said, keep in touch and everything. And, uh, you know, it was, we, we really, we, we had a good time. And he said, you should be on your way now. 
And sure enough, man, I got back. And now that I had a resume, now I've done like 20 stunts with Jason Momoa. Now I have cried on film, even though it was a fluke how I got it. And I'm like, I'm not going to let this go. So I relentless. I, 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 I took, I did my own short film called The Stand-In. I just put that on YouTube recently. Um, it's not the finished version, but it's, it's whatever. I couldn't get the, the official one up. So I just put it out. It's called The Stand-In. Because no one was giving me like major roles. So on The Stand-In, it's very, let's say, it's, it, there's, there's a melon, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit morbid. But, but anyway, I had to challenge my, and I know no one was going to give me that role. So I did it myself, and I sent it to about a thousand fucking directors, even though that's not, and I know most of them are pissed off. I'm like, that's it. And a guy got back to me named Justin Oakey, and he put me in a movie as a fucking psycho, psychotic killer. It's called A Fire in the Cold Season. It was delayed two years. It was set to come out now during COVID. But anyway, and people saw that on the inside. I got to go on Letterkenny last August. And I was also a villain in the CTV show Hudson and Rex. And I'm building on that now. It's a, but anyway, that was a real way, a long way to answer, Maddie. But that's what happened. It was all fantastical. It was all kind of fluke. It came together. But again, again, I keep saying hockey is the vehicle. It never would have happened if it wasn't for hockey. So... You know, Buddy, I think your, hockey your for journey it. is incredible. It's fucking off the charts from Newfoundland to the first round to the Western Hockey League, retiring, getting into this. It's incredible. Um, I want you to plug your book. Uh, everyone that's listening, go check out all these. I'm going to check out YouTube as soon as I get off the air. Um, the man, the myth, the legend. You really are fucking awesome, man. You're you're fun to hear tell stories. That's that's what podcasts are. That's why I enjoy podcasts more than mainstream media yeah, because you can't tell the true story on mainstream media. It's you get 45 seconds, you get a minute, that's it. And you have to sum, summarize everything and you can't get the detail of the real story. You can't tell about getting drunk and stoned with Ethan Hawke. You can't exactly. tell the sledgehammer story in 45 seconds without giving it some backdrop to why it happened and how it happened. So thank you for, I mean, we spent three hours together. <laughs> in two days i really i really appreciate it i'm coming on your show you're going to co-host co-host with me uh, in the future but plug your book where they can get it and everything you got going on okay well so my book is called tales of a first round nothing now um it came out in 2015 i believe but it's, it's enjoyed a little bit of a resurgence and um yeah i think people like it you can you can get it online but the best thing to do this is what happens, Maddie. If you can believe it, I wrote it myself. I can't imagine if I had a, go a ghostwriter. Um, it's, if it sells at chapters, I get, if it's $20, I get 50 cents. So I, but, but the company, which is unbelievable, that's standard book deal, man. It's unbelievable. Crazy. Um, but if what I do, I order, I got to order 50 copies at a time. And if I do that, I can get them for 10 bucks each off the, uh, off the company. So that way I at least make nine or 10 bucks a book, right? So I order them. So if anybody really wants it, I'm Terry Ryan 2020 on Instagram. Just send me a DM uh, or Terry Ryan 20 on Twitter. Now, otherwise, I appreciate the support. If that's a fuck around, get it on Amazon, get it wherever. Just Google it. There'll be roots. But what I'm saying is that I'll sell it to you for the same price plus whatever the shipping is, but it's usually five bucks and I'll personalize it and I'll throw in a signed picture. Um, so that's where that now the next one, I don't know what the title is going to be. It's got to come out by September. I'm finishing it off. Um, 
it was going to call it Tales 2, but having talked to Ken Reed and a few more, adding the two, a lot of times people, I, I figured it'd be great because name recognition, but a lot of times people Google it and they miss out that there was two of these. They think there's one and sales get affected, interpretations yeah. get affected. So this particular one, Matt, it's the same sort of thing. It's anecdotes, but I chose to come at it from a point of view of fighting. Now, listen, I've had major concussions. I'm, I'm not coming at one. There should be fights or there should be no hitting. I'm saying, I'm telling you what happened in my career. Now, I did. I, uh, one thing that happened to me as well, I had post-concussion syndrome for almost a year. It was horrible. And I would get them from getting hit with my head coming down through the middle. I had four times. Each time, that's what happened to me. Um, the, the punches didn't seem to, to do much. Like I, I used to call a, pun, a, a, fa a face wound from a punch a face wound. If I got a concussion, it was like a head wound. But anyway, that's my experience. And everybody has a different experience. So I talk about in the book, you know, how it is to deal with that. And during it, you know, there's times that we all, you know, you're a hockey player, got to go play. You know, you go to the rink and you're really wondering if your brain is okay and you're about to go on the ice. Now, I take full responsibility for that. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying that's what often happens. Now, also, all these tough guys, and I know, I, I get that fighting is, I get the, I get whatever side you're on. There's traditionalists, I get it. If, if, you're, if you are a traditionalist, though, if you're not, let's say you moved to this country from somewhere else and when you put your kid in the sport everybody's playing, you turned on TV and there was two guys beating the living shit out of each other. <laughs> I can see how that might be a deterrent as well. I think there's a happy medium. I do, you know, I believe in, in having some form of policing out there. I think it got out of hand when people were just doing it in the 90s, but whatever. Point is, one thing that I want people to talk about more is that the tough guys were always the guys on the teams that were the most charitable with their time and their money. Like, with time more than anything, like, look at all the children's hospitals, whatever NHL city you're in over the years. Now, look at guys like Wade Belak or, I don't know, in the minors, but me, Dave Morissette. I can go on and on and on. We can go with all these guys or Darren Kimball or Tony Twister, whoever. Follow them on follow Bird Dog. Follow Rob Ray. Them on Twitter. Do what you're going to do. Rob Ray right? All of these guys, and I can go on and on. They were very charitable. They were happy to be there. They were in the room. They were running the tunes. There was a reason for that because usually they were like a guy like Dave Moore said, I remember him saying to me, you know, like, and he was close to me when we played. I haven't talked to him in years, but you know, Moose would be like, you know, like I know that, you know, if I wasn't a fighter, I would, I wouldn't be here. Like, so, you know, I didn't grow up like you did, Terry, like the NHL wasn't a possibility when I was like 11. Like I didn't think it was going to happen. A lot of guys now, I'm not saying all of them feel like that. Some of them like, you know, just great players that adapt, but I'm, I'm, I'm like fucking Chris Nyland, but I'm, I'm saying that they were usually the most charitable in the room. They were the glue. Otherwise they wouldn't be there. You wouldn't have a guy that couldn't play the power play or couldn't play a regular shift. If he wasn't great in the room, it wouldn't be, I don't care how fucking tough he was right? With maybe a couple of exceptions. But look down the list. Probert even. People are like, well, you know, I heard that guy's a drug guy and he was nuts. And well, that's a very vague fucking term. A lot of people have bad fucking times. A lot of people have mental health issues. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people try drugs and they get hooked. But a lot of people are also good people. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And anyway, I'm rambling, but that is where my new book is going. It's, it's all anecdotes, but I chose to kind of remember with uh, a wink and a nod the fighting era it wasn't all bad and you know some of those guys are gems 
buy this guy's fucking book or we're going to get a sledgehammer and knock your fucking <laughs> teeth out. That's what we are going to do. Terry, you really are. I, I love you, man. I really love you. I, I love your stories. I love you as a person. I love when we met and you took care of me out in Newfoundland and uh, great times, something I'll never forget, but uh, stay in touch. Um, again, coming on very soon. All right, buddy. The feeling is mutual. I really appreciate it. When we can get together, we will, Matty. Uh, good luck with it, and uh, I appreciate it again. See you soon. All right. Thank you. Love you, buddy. See you, buddy. Love you, too. Thank you. The devil you know, the devil you know, the devil you don't. Never you know.